0: know, obviously the the first line of the Torah, I hope so. In the beginning created or God created the heavens and the earth. So I want you to think a little bit that appreciate that all the books of the world can fall into two basic categories. What we call fiction, which means not true. And non-fiction, which is true, which is an interesting thing in of itself, because the word for true is the negative. And always, as a kid, it always, it still does actually. You have to do a double take and think: fiction means not true, non-fiction means not non-fiction means true. I'm sure you all under you, you all understand what those two mean but I want you to appreciate the uh sort of dysfunction of that concept. That the English phrase for something that's not that's true is nonfiction. Now the question is where and it's a bit of a digression but it's very meaningful. Why is it that the word for something that's true is a negative meaning nonfiction. It should be the word for true should be fiction, and the word for non-true should be non-fiction. In other words, the word fiction and true mm. should be synonymous, but it's obviously not that way. Why is that? And it's historical and, and very interesting, because it used to be that nobody ever wrote a book unless it was either true or they purported it to be true. No one wrote things just for experience. Excuse expression fiction, it's just fantasy. Everything was written because this is the in the author's mind what actually is or happens in mathematics, science, so even you know the Greek uh, uh, philosophies and stories. Nevertheless, they purported them to be true things, and therefore you didn't have to call it anything. They had no name. It was, everything was true. This is what this, this, what happened in the past. This is how the world works. This is how physics and geometry exist. So the first book that comes along that is now not true, meaning fiction, is a fantasy, had to be called something. And that, so that was called fiction. And then by default, everything else becomes non-fiction which is an interesting thing about how people use their time and what and what literature was meant to be. And it's going to play very much in how we're going to look at the Torah. So if you take all the books of the world and you put them in one huge pile, let's say there's an earthquake of the New York State Library and all the books get put into one big pile, they all fall off their shelves. And we have to now go through them and sort them out and divide them between the fiction and the non-fiction as the first basic categorization. So it would take obviously a long time, but it was a very simple way to to act, almost accurately divide, divide fiction from non-fiction. In other words, by just opening up the first page, you'd be able to tell that this book is fiction or this book is non-fiction. And that is because all... Almost all non-fictional books start the same way, and almost all fictional books start the same way. How is that? Anybody want to take a guess? Once upon a time. Sorry. Once upon a time, all non-fictional books. or all fictional books start once upon a time. And how do all non-fictional books start? Anybody? All, all non fictional all books purporting to be the truth, they all start the same way. Pretty much. Anybody? No one? <laughs> they all start with an introduction, a preface, a foreword, All non-fictional books pretty much start that way. And all non-fictional books start, there's the old joke about the the rabbi that gets up to speak and he says, listen, before I speak, I'd like to say a few words. So that's how how non-fictional books start. Before they get into the book, they want to say a few words. Those introductions that you have in non-fictional books, in fictional books, right, is chapter one. Why do you have in a non-fictional book an introduction? Why isn't that just chapter one? You you hear the question. Yeah. If anyone doesn't have the question, please just you know raise your hand and say something, right? And the answer <laughs> is very simple because a fictional book, or I should say, really a non-fictional book, a book that purports to be the truth has an objective, and that is it's to educate you in something. And therefore, the author, to, gain, to get you to buy that book, has to explain that this book is qualified, of what this book is going to tell you. So you're going to pick that book. In other words, if you're looking for a book on gardening and you live in, say, South America, you're not going to pick up a book on English gardening. So the introduction tells you this is what it could do, this is how it qualified the person is and therefore you can select it from one book to the other book and that's what the introduction whereas a non fictional book doesn't have to do that. You're not gonna pick up a book of Star Wars in order to learn about intergalactic travel. Right, or how to build a space rocket or how to build right? how to fly. That's not why you're picking up the book. You know that the book is complete nonsense. And he doesn't expect to learn anything, and therefore he doesn't need to introduce you, he doesn't need to to set the stage or convince you why he knows what he's talking about. Is this making sense? So now, in your process of taking all the books of the, of the New York State Public Library, you come across a Torah, a Bible. Which category would it fall in? The fictional books or the non fictional books? Fiction. It would fall into the fiction, obviously. Right? The Bible starts in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That sounds very much like fiction. I should add by the way, that the New Testament and the Quran both have introductions. They're not very good, I should add, right? But they have an introduction, obviously so, because they're trying to convince the proponents, the people that are looking for, so to speak, a religion, that their religion is the best, or their one is the most true, right? And a Bible which is coming to be, which is like the the Uber, the super non-fictional book, even more so it's going to need an introduction, right, to convince you that this is it. Even more so. Now you understand how we lost a whole generation of Jews after the Holocaust. And now you understand, or you're going to hopefully, what a parent's job is all about. So the question is, where is the introduction to the Torah? Anybody? Don't ask all at once. Where is this introduction? And obviously, if a Jew was to write the Torah, um, obviously the Almighty is not Jewish, but we hopefully get to think along his lines, hopefully. If a Jew was to write the Torah, where would he put the introduction? And there's a little bit of a clue there to the answer where would he put the introduction? No, no. If a Jew wrote the Torah, where would he put the introduction? Jews like it to be difficult, nothing personal. They put it at the end. And that's exactly where the introduction to the Torah is. The introduction to the Torah is in the very last part of the Chumash. And there it says, Torah Siva Lanu Moshe and Chazal tell us the Talmud says that this is the very first thing that you should teach your children. The introdu- that's the introduction. You follow? Right? Which yeah. is the last verse in the whole Torah. Mm-hmm. That's what you teach your children and it's telling you an incredible thing. And this is why, by the way, traditionally—some haters still do this—traditionally, when children used to come to school, the first thing that they would learn would be from Vayikra, which is the uh, most—excuse the expression—driest of all the books of the Torah, and the hardest to learn. It's the least, so to speak, exciting. It's not stories, it's not the kind of thing that we—today we don't do this, mostly. You start with Boatius and the stories. But we used to start with Vayikra. Because of this, you see, nothing in life is ever what it is. It's all relative to the expectation. If you're expecting to go to a gym and you get there, it's all fluffy couches and donuts and coffee and the, the treadmills don't work, you're going to be disappointed. If you're expecting to go on a cruise, and you have to puff your, your, your own pillows, you're going to be disappointed. If your parents give you the introduction to the Almighty gave us a Torah, an instruction book of life, then when you show up at Haida on your first day, what are you expecting to get? Instructions, mm. which is Vayikra. Instructions. And that's why they would start to not disappoint the children. But if your parents didn't give you that introduction and you show up in Torah and you've been raised with Sesame Street and all that kind of stuff, and you show up and they teach you Vayikra, what are you going to be? Disappointed. It took a generation for the haters to realize that kids weren't getting the introduction in at uh, home. Now they really don't do that anymore. But this is a phenomenal thing that the Torah is saying to us. The Torah is not just the Torah, just not the book. The Torah is a partnership between the parents and the Torah to give your children. It's not just your parents. It's not just the Torah. It's both of them together. And if both do their job, the Shinnok works. But if one doesn't do their job, mainly the, the parents don't do their part, The Torah doesn't work. This is a fascinating thing. By other religions, the Havdil, they just don't have this concept. By them, it's all them. By the the mighty giving us a Torah, says, this will only work with you if you do your part. I'm trusting you to be partners with me in educating your children. That's a phenomenal thing that is implied in the first sentence of the Torah. Thank you, everybody. That's it for this week. hope to see you all next week. Have a great week. Have an it's easy perfect. and meaningful Thanks, Thanks very much.